Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Another edition of the Tech Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, November 12, 2017. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time. Our partners over at MetsPrizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, another show where I've promoted it as, let's hear what the fans have to say. So a little later, have not quite as many calls today. I was able to cut up, uh, you know, and sift through. I wanted to narrow it down a little bit because I have some things to talk about, but wanted to take a different tack, see how this works. With the GM meetings coming up next week, I said, okay, let me get a guest after the GM meeting. Let's see what transpires. Because right now, the speculation is all that. It's speculation. It has a lot changed since last week. No, but I think that what has changed is a couple of things, and that's what we'll talk about today. Number one, there's a lot of talk about what the Mets can do with a $30 million budget. And I already had said, that's look, that's guesstimation by the media. There's nothing that says that the Mets have an opportunity to get the right player at the right cost that fits well with this team. Because I do believe, Sandy Alderson has said, so if you want to play the speculation game, that this, is, that this season was a reboot and they plan on contending next year, uh, that they'll go out and, and maybe not get Eric Hosmer or get J.D. Martinez, but I think they'll spend enough to bring in the component pieces that they need or the type B, tier B type free agents that they need to get the job done. So we'll play a little bit. Okay, if you have a $30 million payroll, what does that mean? What kind of players can 
the Mets go after. And it changes a little bit from last week when I said, listen, one of the top targets I would make was Eric Hosmer. I think that he would be a great fit. I know you'd have to play in the deep end of the pool, and it sounds like the Mets aren't going to go that route. And it sounds like they wouldn't go the route with Todd Frazier either. So two of the three free agents that I had talked about last week are reportedly not an option. So that's number one. Number two, Joel Sherman threw out some trade options. And I think the big thing with the trade options is that unless you're looking to make Ahmed Rosario, who was a top prospect in baseball last year, as part of the package, there's a lot of not-so-great feelings about the Mets prospects. Although sometimes these prospects and what the media reports as valuable prospects is not necessarily how the industry views it. The media tends to use their own valuation system, and I'm not quite sure that that meshes with reality. I'm sure the Mets, if they have to pull off a deal, can. Does that mean they have the cachet with some of the top prospects from some of the other teams? You know, again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's in the other GM. What are, what are they getting? Um, you know, can the Mets go out and get D. Gordon? I really... I really don't think that's the route, and I'll talk about that. I don't think that's the route, the trade route, although Joel Sherman made an interesting trade proposal um, for Jose Abreu, so we could get into that. And the third thing is the modern era ballot, which will be voted on during the uh, winter meetings. And it just brought up a really – the type of topic that you want to – talk about during the offseason, and that is, is Keith Hernandez a Hall of Famer? And that's something that I, I put it out there on the website, com. I know this is something that was, has been talked about before. I've had opinions on it. I've actually shows about this many moons ago, and you'll hear a clip from Kasha Kennedy of SI, who believes that Keith is a Hall of Famer, and he said that on my show many years, probably about almost 10 years ago, that... um that Keith is a Hall of Fame. He wrote a piece for SI back in the day. And Kostya's done some, he's done a book on Joe DiMaggio. He's done a book on Pete Rose. So he knows a little bit about baseball. And, you know, he's not someone that just is thrown out, you know, and he's not a Mets fan thrown out a name. So I'll give you my thoughts on Keith Hernandez in the Hall of Fame and whether or not. Now, he's not on the modern era ballot, but there are comparables. Whether you want to just talk about uh, players at his position, like Steve Garvey, who is on the ballot or overall players, offensive players that you look at like a Ted Simmons and say, well, Ted Simmons is being considered, why not Keith Hernandez? So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that in a little bit. But let's start off, um, you know, before I go to the phone lines and, and go to that, let's start off with just some of my thoughts about this whole budget situation uh, because that's what's really bothering a lot of Mets fans. And if you go and you read Mets blog during the week, uh, I mean, there's so much talk about Shohei Otani and, and this, this quote-unquote, I love it, the Babe Ruth of Japan. <laughs> you gotta, you got to love how everybody throws a, a, a narrative. It's, not, it's never, hey, he's going to come over here and be uh, Otani, the, another great Japanese player. Not even enough about him being maybe the next Ichiro. Maybe not the same hitter, of course, because he's a power hitter. But um, he's going to be Babe Ruth. I mean, that because he hits and he, and he pitches. Who knows if he even could could hit at the level here that uh, the Mets can, uh, you know, that, 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 that necessitates him being a star. I mean, there's always going to be a transition from the Japanese league. So anyway, but if you, you go and look at Mets blog and Andy Martino of SMY.TV talked about, and again, I don't know, uh, you know, this is the reporting of Martino. How embedded is he with the Mets? He's not really covering the team anymore on a daily basis. He's doing a lot of different things, not just sports-related. 
But according to Martino, the Mets are going to first try to look for a second baseman. And Estrubal Cabrera will be the third baseman. So that pretty much throws Todd Frazier out. They're not going to make Todd Frazier uh, an option. And he talks about D. Gordon. Now, here's the thing. I go back to last week, and I talk about D. Gordon. Uh, what makes me laugh here is that everyone's like, well, the Mets don't have the prospects to get D. Gordon. You know, the Marlins are going to ask for, you know, top prospects. I'm not sure D. Gordon has that kind of value. First, you're taking on a contract. So if you're any team uh, that are, the Marlins are looking to dump salary. So if you're taking on D. Gordon, you're taking on a salary of $10 million next year, about 13 and change in the following year, another 13 and change. You're taking on ages 30 north, 30, age 30 and north of D. Gordon. And, and you've seen Jose Reyes, who's a similar age, as he gets, not now, but at the end of that contract. The legs are not going to be the same. The legs never are the same. And when a player like D. Gordon, the only thing about him is his legs. He's, he's, he's a guy that, that slaps at the ball. He's a guy that can steal bases. He's a decent glove by you know, the eye test. He's won a gold glove. I'm not going to get all deep into the metrics. But if all, that's all you have are legs. Why would you pay top prospects and money to bring a guy like that in? I just don't. I just don't see how that how that works. Then another name, and and I don't know why the Twins wouldn't try to lock this guy up. But you talk about Brian Dozier, uh, a guy who's got pop, uh, is an on base guy, uh, you know, and has has had some good years. He had 42 home runs the the prior year in 2016. He had a ton of them earlier in the year. Uh, you know, he's a guy that is going to be a free agent in about another year. Uh, very affordable, nine million dollars. I mean, it's, that, that may cost you a little bit more, but in today's game, the, the, uh, you know, at 30 years old again, uh, and he did win a Gold Glove this year. So defensively, he has uh, you know both ends of the of the spectrum here, both ends of the stick. That's a guy that's more likely that you would pay for because he's got power. I don't know, and you know, Joel Sherman brought out maybe the Mets go after Jose Abreu. You know, he talked about maybe using Robert Gazelman or Seth Lugo as, as, as trade bait. I, I just don't think right now, when you look at what the Mets' needs are, if the payroll is what it is, you don't want to rip too much away from the current roster. Now, remember something, and it goes back to, if Martinez, Mar, uh, Andy Martino's uh, and, and all the reports that they got $30 million to spend, so what does that mean? The Mets are going to have to find some things through free agency. I'm sure... They're going to explore trades, but I think they're going to have to find some stuff through free agency. Now, a lot of what free agent costs are going to be, if you go to John Heyman at FanRag Sports, he has an expert that gives a really good idea about what to expect players to make. You can, and the Mets have right now five spots on the 40-man open, but it's going to be less because they have some guys, like I said last week, uh, Bautista, the kid they got from the Red Sox, and a bunch of other young arms that they have to make decisions on to add to the 40-man or else they're going to lose them in the Rule 5 draft in about a month. And, and that, that, the Mets are not going to want that. So they have some 40-man roster uh, options that have to be addressed. And there are guys, I've mentioned Hansel Robles, maybe uh, as one of the, the, the guys, uh, you know, Matt Reynolds is another name that I said, well, maybe these are guys that you can move off of. But when you look at where the Mets are, so forget about last week when I talked about, oh, the Mets should do this. This was all playing GM. We're trying to narrow this down now into what's more realistic. Okay, what's more realistic with what the Mets can do? 
And the free agent that this keeps coming back to is Jay Bruce. Now, Jay Bruce reportedly, you're saying, well, Mike, Jay Bruce is reportedly asking for $90 million over five years. And Heyman's expert feels that Jay Bruce is worth three years and $36 million. Uh, that's about $12 million a year. That's the kind of bat that also play, could play a corner position because that's what the Mets seem to be looking for. It seems like Don Smith doesn't have necessarily the cachet to, to be the, the, the anchor of a deal. And I personally am not a big Don Smith fan. And I talked to Scout, exchanged some notes with a scout earlier today. And he saw him in the Arizona Fall League uh, a while back. And he just feels he's got a soft body. He's not a weight room guy. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things about him that bother people, have bothered people and scouts from day one. I remember I had a scout tell me the night of the draft when they drafted him that he, he, he stinks. He's probably one of the worst first-round picks that are out there. Now, that might be a stretch because he's made the big league. But you want someone. So you look at a guy like Logan Morrison who Heyman had, had a big year in Tampa. Heyman is – his expert is project, projecting the similar type of years and dollars than Jay Bruce. I mean that makes, no, you know, that makes no sense then to go for somebody other than Jay Bruce if he wants to come back. I know that he's out in, with the Indians, and I don't know how his affinity for the Indians are. The Indians, I, I'm not, I haven't dived deep into what their budgetary situation is. He is from Houston. Maybe he tries to go back to Texas. Uh, there's a lot of different things that can come into play here that we don't know. We're talking about this in a vacuum. The thing that surprises me about the Jay Bruce, about him coming down into that stratosphere, is that Justin Upton just got $106 million. He got $21 million a year. For five years, and um, you know he got 106 million for five, so that doesn't come out to about 22. 106 divided by five is about 21.2 million dollars. Um, and that they're very similar players. They play a corner position. So if I'm if I'm Jay Bruce's agent, I'm like, well, if Upton's getting that money, and Jay Bruce is not old, you know what? Where where's my money? You know why? Why would I be the guy that has to take only three years, unless this? And he played well. He played well for the Mets. He played well in the postseason. Uh, you know, he 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 hits. He got some clutch hits for the Indians in that series against the Yankees. Uh, to me, there's no reason he hit. You know, he had a one, he had a two seventy eight batting batting average, a thousand OPS in the postseason. He's actually got eight seventy two OPS in the postseason in his career. The few times that he's been in there, uh, you know, he had. Now, he, he dipped a little bit in terms of his performance after he went to, uh, to Cleveland. Um, so, I mean, I look at it. You know, maybe you could argue that Upton's a better hitter. But Jay Bruce, to me, if I'm him, I'm asking for that. Now, does that mean he's going to get it? I don't know. Now, he's 30 years old. And, uh, you know, maybe he's also entering into his late prime where you start to figure some things out. Sometimes players become their best, you know, as they hit 29, 30, what have you. So, um, you know, if that is the area that we're talking about Jay Bruce falling into, to me, that's the guy then. I know that it just brings back the same roster from last year. It's really bringing back the same player. But Bruce could play right field. Uh, you know, he's insurance when Cespedes or Conforto are out. It's, you still have that big bat in the middle of the lineup. Uh, he, can, he can, you know, he's, he's playing a little first base for both the Indians and the Mets. I think if you prepare him for that, and, you know, don't just throw it on him late in spring training like Collins did. Maybe he could be halfway decent uh, because then you have Wilmer Flores there as the right-handed complement 
And, you know, maybe then, maybe then you say, okay, you go Flores, Dom Smith at first base, and uh, you platoon them a little bit over there. I don't think you can go into the season with Dom Smith playing every day and contend for a championship. I don't think you could have two rookies. I, don't, I, I just don't think. Uh, that's just my feeling. I think you have to have some experience over there. That's why I was looking more towards the Hosmer. Now, you could also look at it this way and say, do the Mets try to find a way to get Adam Leand in here? Now, he, he was bought out. He didn't, he didn't accept the mutual option from the Nationals. I mean, and guys, remember, this is not a guy that's going to be cheap either. Made $5 million last year with the Nationals. He didn't opt out of that to get another $5 million contract. This is a guy that's going to want eight, ten. Million dollars a year, maybe for a couple of years. So you might be getting two years, twenty million, two years, sixteen million from Adam Leand, who could get on base, has pop, he's left-handed, could play the outfield a little bit. Maybe that's a guy. See, but to me now, you're already looking at if you go for like a Jay Bruce, and the Mets also talked about going to more of a bullpen-centric strategy because of the issues they've had with their starters keeping them healthy and some of the stats about them going through their order the third time in the game, you know, the money's going to dry up quick because these relievers, like Addison Reed or Brian Shaw or Brandon Kinsler, they're all going to get 8 to $10 million a year. They're all going to get that. You know, you look at, at Heyman's, again, go to fanragsports.com, whether you believe that this is uh, accurate or not. I mean, Heyman's doing reporting, and, and, and he's talking to agents, so these are guys that... Uh, you know, when you, you got to remember, when an agent has their player on the market and they're asking for, like, Jay Bruce, $90 million for five years, they're going to start high, and they're going to try to get their player the most they can get. But in the back of their minds, they know what he's worth. You know, even a Mike Miner is looking at $8 million a year. Now, the couple of names that have come out that I think are interesting, if the Mets are going to sign a couple of bullpen arms, Mike Miner's a lefty, uh, used to be a prospect starter with the Braves. Back, if you remember, when Carlos Beltran was the sweepstakes with Beltran back in 2010, Miner was one of the names that you had heard maybe the Braves were willing to give up as an anchor in a Beltran deal. Uh, has not Did not have success as a starter. was remade. Now, Dave Island is the pitching coach. And remember, this goes back. you got Mickey Calloway and you got Dave Island here now. So he'll know a Mike Miner. You know, Mickey Calloway knows Brian Shaw. Those, Joe Smith, the guy that used to be, and by the way, he's carved out a really nice career. If you go up and down, the guy that consistently ERA plus of about 120 or higher, you know, strikeout rate's been high. You know, these are guys that they know. And, and, and to me, if you're going to rebuild the bullpen with a couple of arms, those are some of the names you'd go out there and get. I like guys who miss bats. And all these guys miss bats. They have high strikeout rates. What's interesting about minor is he can get lefties and righties out. He didn't really have huge platoon splits. And that's valuable with a lefty, because you have Blevins, who's more of a lefty-on-lefty guy. Josh Smoker hasn't really proved to be a guy that could get lefties out. He's actually getting righties out better than lefties. And he's been inconsistent throughout his time, brief time in the big leagues. So you get a guy like Mike Miner. You don't have to worry about the lefty-righty splits, even though it's just one year out of the bullpen. You have your second lefty. You could spot Blevins against that one or two lefties throughout the ball game. Minor could be your full inning. Brian Shaw has been a guy that has shown to be durable. They could go out and pitch in 75, 80 games. You've got your back end of the bullpen, dual closers, and A.J. Ramos and Jerry's Familia, who both I think are going to be sweaty. I think Ramos is a sweaty guy. What I mean is I don't think it's always going to be a tight wire with Ramos. I don't think he's ever going to be clean, and I think he's going to make you nervous. When he's out there, he may wiggle out of most of them, but he's going to make you nervous. 
already you're looking at you're gonna get a couple of bullpen arms. That's another ten million dollars, eight to ten million dollars. You're looking at sixteen plus Jay Bruce if he could come at a reasonable twelve million dollars a year um, market uh, rate. Uh, you're looking at already almost thirty million dollars. So that's what I'm telling you. I don't think the Mets are necessarily just going to stick to $30 million and that's it. Because then they're going to need a starter that is innings eater. Uh, I mentioned R.A. Dickey, and I don't think that changes because even Heyman's uh, guy thinks Dickey could get, if he does pitch, uh, about uh, $7 million a year. So I said about five. Maybe you do incentives with him and what have you. One name that came up that actually uh, might be – Interesting, and he's in his mid twenties. He's probably going to garner about eight to ten million dollars a year. Is Tyler Chatwood? Now, if you go to his baseball reference page, Tyler Chatwood pitched for Colorado. He had an eight and fifteen record, a four point six nine ERA. He still wasn't above with that with those numbers an above league average pitcher. And you're asking yourself why? Well, you know he's got a, his walk rate is pretty high, and that bothers me a little bit. I don't like guys who walk a lot of batters over four batters per nine innings. Uh, and he's, you know his strikeout rate is not really, um, you know, making up for that. He's only striking out a little over seven per nine innings. But if you go to his splits, and you go to his 2017 splits, and this is a hat tip over there to Rich Catino of ESPN New York, because he brought it up on Twitter. That's the first I heard of it. His ERA on the road is 3.49, and his whip is 1.22. I feel like that, you know, and his walk rate, about the same. He walked the same road versus home, you know, in, in relatively the same innings. But it was a little bit better away. Now, that's an interesting upside name. I don't know if I'd pay that much for him. But, look, young starting pitchers are going to demand that. If you want a guarantee, I think R.A. Dickey still, to me, you keep going back. That's a guy who's going to guarantee you he's going to stay healthy. He's got the knuckleball. He's going to be league average. He's going to give you what Bartolo Colon gave you at least for a year over the course of his time with the Mets. Uh, and you need to go there. But you're going to have to go over $30 million. The Mets are, I mean, it's, it's like everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, the Mets only have $30 million. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I really feel when you look at what Joel Sherman wrote, I just don't see how the Mets are going to be able to trade a guy like Lugo or Gazelman or guys like that for a, a, an Abreu of the White Sox, who would be a great middle-of-the-order hitter. Uh, and then if you even look, I mean, if you do, if you do bring in Jose Abreu, what's what kind of money is Jose Abreu bringing in? Jose Abreu is bringing in, um, let's see, what kind of contract? I think he actually has a reasonable contract. If I bring up Jose Abreu, he's going to earn ten million dollars next year, ten point eight. He actually has a very, very good uh, contract. He signed a very reasonable contract. That was one of the names that a lot of Mets fans were angry about when he came over in 2014. They felt that the Mets dropped the ball not signing him. One other name for first base that may only make 5 to $7 million, and that actually is Lucas, du- is Lucas Duda, a reunion with Lucas Duda. If you ask me today, who would you rather have at first base opening day and feel better about your chances contending over the course of 162 games, Dom Smith or Lucas Duda? I'm going to say Lucas Duda. I just haven't seen enough of Don Smith to feel good. And if you're contending for a title, for a playoff spot, you just can't go with that kind. It's the Mets, if the Mets were for four or five years ago when they weren't competing, then Don Smith's your first baseman, see what you got. But they're not. And to me, that, that's why you don't go that route. So there's a lot of options. I'm curious what you guys think. Um, if there's any names you're going to bring up, I'll, I'll go to the phone lines. We're going to take a quick break and hear what you have to say. So what do you think about the Mets? Uh, 
you know, what kind of trades they can make, uh, names that you're hearing. Do you agree? Brian Shaw, Mike Miner, Joe Smith. Those are some of the names that I feel are the better names that are going to be affordable on the market. Uh, what about Adam Lind? Uh Jay Bruce seems to be, again, we keep going back. It seems like our old friend Jay Bruce. And by the way, one other name to throw out there that will be pretty affordable, according to John Amon, is Neil Walker at second base. I mean, Neil Walker and Jay Bruce were traded because the Mets wanted to save some money and get some assets. They were out of the race. And it wasn't going to change their chances of re-signing these guys if they wanted to after the season is over. See, it's not, I don't believe that that's... I mean, you always run the risk of them falling in love with their new location. But I don't know if that really happened. I mean, it happened maybe, maybe with Jay Bruce, but how the Indians ended, who knows? Maybe the Indians want to make some changes. I mean, they, they did not... After that big win streak, they didn't do what they had to do to get it done in the postseason. So, anyway, uh, keep that name in mind as well. There is still names, if the payroll's between 30 and $40 million, that can, Mets can put together to put a really good team out there. Remember something. If DeGrom and Syndergaard don't perform, if Cespedes, who they signed to that big contract, doesn't perform, if Conforto doesn't come back healthy, it doesn't matter. They can't re-sign 25 guys. There's still a lot here. You guys all acting like they need to tear the roster apart. They've already solved one of the biggest issues that were out there was the leadership in that clubhouse was bad. It started with the manager. That's been addressed. Now they have to clean up the roster, and you can still do that with a 30 to $40 million payroll. Now, you could argue and say a lot of things about, well, why? That shouldn't be the case. That's not what today is about. You know, we have to deal with reality. Play GM. Let's do that. Let's take a quick break. When we, you're gonna, we're going to hear from you. Well, who do you think? What do you think? I'm curious. Take a few phone calls, and then we'll get into Keith Hernandez in the Hall of Fame and get your thoughts on that, and I'll give you my thoughts on that. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check it out all the time at MetsmerizeOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back. Talking Mets podcast. Let's get to the phone lines. One other quick thing. I know that there was some outrage about the report that the Mets were going to limit their starters, not named DeGrom and Syndergaard. And a lot of the numbers indicate that guys like Gonzelman and Lugo and Matt Harvey was just downright ugly the third time around the order. Let's see how. I mean, ultimately, the solution with the new regime, Callaway and Dave Island, is to get the most out of the prospects, out of these – they're not really – Harvey's not a prospect, Gazelman and Lugo are, or anyone else that comes through. To get the most of – there's no reason why pitchers shouldn't go 120 pitches and give you six, seven innings. There's no reason. The postseason, you want to have a quicker trigger. You know, we've seen some, some 
sample size where that's not a bad idea. But even that almost burnt the Houston Astros to a crisp. Almost burnt the Do- definitely burnt the Dodgers to a crisp. You got to remember these guys pitching every day. Eventually, that comes back to bite you. But the one thing baseball really has to think about is if this is what the trend is going to be, and the sport is a copycat sport, so you're going to see a little of this. You can no longer have a 25-man roster and it be enough. You're going to have to at least expand this, and I know it's going to cost them more money. You have to do one of two things. One, if you're going to go to an eight-man bullpen, you've got to bring the DH to both, both leagues so that these extra inning games you don't have. Uh, pitchers pinch hitting and 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 risk, run the risk that one day someone's catcher is going to go down. You don't have the you know, emergency catcher is not a good option. And and then say la vie, you have some kind of embarrassing end to the game where someone gets hurt playing out of position. So you add the DH to the National League, and 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 that's where this goes. You add a little offense, you add a little payroll, but not as much payroll as adding two two position you know two two additional position players. So. That's something they have to consider. Number two, if you don't want to do that, you still have this DH, you know, American League is a DH, National League is not because of the integrity of the sport. Number two would be to add two spots and maybe do a taxi squad. Now, there's going to have to be some kind of split contract for those that don't play in those games. I mean, clearly, if you're on the active roster that day, uh, they could do maybe a split contract thing. I don't think the union would go for that. Uh, plus, what do you do with pitchers who are deactivated that day? You know, maybe there's two guys designated for the taxi squad. They're on a different contractual situation. So if Jacob DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard are deactivated for the two slots, they're not the guys that take the, the financial hit. The guys that take the hit are the taxi squad guys, the two players that are named the taxi squad. Almost like how the NBA has those two-way contracts now where guys go down to the D-League and they're kind of their property and then I guess they could be added to the roster. It's a little different because then you have to get somebody off the roster to add them. But here, you it's basically a taxi squad. And, I mean, they could work out with the team. They could travel with the team. And then the question is, do you need them that particular game? You activate 25 players if you don't want to you know, increase the size of the roster to 27 all the time. But something has to happen. They have to talk about it because if this is the way, wave of the future where they don't want to they want to keep these pitchers as five inning pitchers. They want to, you know, because of the money they're making, they want to protect them. You're going to need to expand the roster. You just, it's just, you can't have guys go five innings. You can't start pinch hitting in the sixth. You can't do situational baseball in the sixth inning, and and have enough players on the roster. Sorry, you'll have enough pitchers with an eight man bullpen. Maybe, you know, depending how much lefty righty you do, but you're not going to have enough position players. You're basically working with a three man bench in the National League. One of those is a catcher. It's a four-man bench. With the, take away the catcher, the backup catcher. You got a three-man bench. You're asking for tr- you're asking for trouble. Let's let's put it this way. Anyway, let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to the first call. Let's hear what they have to say. Hey, Mike. This is Steve from Brooklyn. Um, I've actually read a couple articles from Mesmerize and the Fan Shots, um, but it's the first time calling in, and um, I enjoy the show, obviously. Anyway, this is um, my suggestion to how the Mets should play should spend thirty million dollars. Um, there are two things I'd really like to see the Mets do here. Um, number one is get some value out of Wilma Flores, um, unlike, say, Justin Turner, and um, get a leadoff hitter. Um, so the, the, this all hinges upon the Marlins trading D. Gordon and Christian Yellick or maybe one of their other outfielders um, to the Mets for some package, including um, Juan Ligaris, Dom Smith, and I don't know who. I don't know if the Mets have the the juice in the farm system to get that done. I know Ligaris and Dom Smith probably doesn't do it, even if they're eating D. Gordon's salary. 
because um, Yalek is obviously an amazing player. Anyway, ideally, if that trade goes goes down, that adds about $10 million to the payroll right there, more or less, um, and puts Yellick in center field for the um, for the foreseeable future. Um, for third base, um, I don't really want to see Cabrera there. I prefer him at second, and um, that opens up first base for Wilmer. So for third base, um, I'm not really a big Todd Frazier fan. I'd rather see someone who hit for a higher average, but um, Todd Frazier or better to play third base adds another 13 to $15 million right there. Um, this trading with Garis and Conforto being on the DL really leaves them short major league outfielders. If I'm not mistaken, that leaves them um, three major league outfielders, uh, Yellick, Cespedes, and Nimmo to start the season. So I like Norioki as a fifth outfielder if he's affordable for a couple million dollars. I um, have no idea if that's what he'll go for. Um and all that math adds up to about five million left over to find a starting pitcher, um, an innings eating starting pitcher, whether that's R.A. Dickey or I'm not really hoping for Bartolo Colon or but whoever. Not a lot left there for a starting pitcher, so maybe they can dig deep. Maybe there's a trade they can make. Maybe there's another five million dollars in the budget. Um, I I would leave the bullpen alone. Um, if you have to spend money, I'd spend it elsewhere. Um, if, if, the, if the budget is this limited, I'd spend the money elsewhere. Um, and um, that's it. Um, so, um, again, thanks for the show. Um, and um, let's go Mets. Thanks for the call. Interesting stuff there. Again, goes back to the, the concept of a trade with Miami and I just Yelich is interesting because he's pretty team friendly, and I don't think you're going to get Yelich. See, if I'm the Marlins, I hold on to Yelich. I let him develop because I think that contract's going to become even much more valuable. If you look at Yelich last year, uh, you know he had a, a less, a little bit less of a year than the year before. 18 home runs, 81 RBIs, uh, 807 OPS. Uh, you know, this guy's got a little bit of speed. You know, a year prior, I mean, he has won a Gold Glove in his career. A year prior, he was, uh, you know, top 20 MVP candidate, won a Silver Slugger, had 21 homers, 98 RBIs, and hit a shade under uh, 300. He is an on-base guy. And, uh, you know, he's only making next year $7 million. He'll make 9.7. They have a really good contract, team-friendly contract. Now, when he gets to 2020, where he's $12 million, 21 when he gets into his late 20s, that's where I can see them possibly maybe saying, all right, this is still a pretty good deal for a guy like this. He's probably going to get better. Well, the theory is he's going to get better. He's only 25 now, although he's had uh, you know, 2,500 at-bats. I mean, he's starting to get 2,800 plate appearances. You're starting to get to the point where I think once you get about 3,000 plate appearances, you pretty much are who you are. Uh, but you could improve. Look at, you know, you mentioned Justin Turner. And that gets me to my second point about Wilmer Flores. My issue with Wilmer Flores isn't anything where I dislike him. I think he showed progress against right-handed pitching this year. He doesn't walk a hell of a lot. Uh, he's a guy with power. That's who he is. He's a power guy, and, and, he, and, he, and he could drive in some runs. I don't know if he has a position. I think he's a great guy to come off the bench and play a bunch of positions, but he showed the prior year in 2016 when he didn't get consistent playing time that he struggled. If you remember early in 2016, he wasn't really good. Now, that might have been just an outlier, but I feel like when he started to get more playing time, that, you know, that was really where he, uh, he excelled. And he's become a better hitter every year. And, he, and it's a shame that um, 
He's had some injuries that derailed him, freak stuff, the last couple of years, or else we could have maybe had a chance to see a couple more weeks of, of Wilmer Flores. So I don't think they're going to give up on him, although I can see them swinging a trade with an American League club, perhaps with Flores, if they believe in him, to get a second baseman, maybe bring over a promising pitching arm. I mean, I could see that if they were going to make a deal. Um, I don't know if the White Sox would do anything with him being part of an Abreu deal. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't – listen, Jose Abreu is a guy that if the White Sox are looking to dump, I would take a look at. Now, do I think they want Dom Smith? I certainly don't think the Miami Marlins want Dom Smith. They've got Justin Bohr, who falls in the same as the Yelich category. Let him get better. Let his value increase versus selling. You could probably get more for him as you continue to to do this uh, you know, rebuild that uh, the new ownership group led by Derek Jeter wants. So good phone call, good stuff, interesting stuff. I'd like to hear that. Let's go back to the phone lines. Yes, hello. This is Brad. Just wanted to give a call because um, I'm looking at a lot of the developments that are going on, and it seems like the Mets are really putting an emphasis on their pitching. Now, obviously, this is probably their biggest strength because of the potential of their starting pitching. We've seen the hiring of Nicky Callaway, which I think is an excellent hiring, and we've also seen the hiring of their pitching coach, Dave Island, who is a two-time world champion and uh, seems like he does a really good job with the pitching staff. Do you think that with the recent trend, especially in 2017, of the Major League Baseball offensive explosion with home runs, that that's the way to go to kind of uh, go against all the offensive firepower and build a pitching staff that can really hold his team within three or four runs? Or do you think the Mets are making a mistake by not signing some of these, you know, 30 home run bats like a Todd Frazier, Jay Bruce, um, Logan Morrison? Are they making a mistake by not going after those guys and putting too much of an emphasis on starting pitching? Would love to know your input. Thanks. Brad, thanks for the call. And to answer your question, uh, no, I, I I don't think starting pitching is overrated or the wrong way to go. Go back to the ALCS. Go back to the Yankees run. The reason the Yankees were quality is, yeah, they're bullpen, but their starting pitching performed a hell of a lot better than anybody could expect. They lost you know, The Astros won game one of the ALCS 2-1. They won game two 2-1. They won game uh, 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 seven 4-0. Uh, you know, the games were, I mean, they, they got a little bit more uh, offensive-minded in Yankee Stadium. But you also look at Game 7 of the World Series, and, you know, your Darvish did not pitch well. Justin Verlander came in for the Astros and pitched well in key moments throughout the postseason. What won it was pitching. The Astros do not win the World Series without Justin Verlander. Forget about the home runs. Forget about all the sabermetrics. It was old-fashioned, go out, get an ace to anchor the rotation, a guy you could hand the ball in a key moment and say, get us home, we'll get you a run, you do the rest. And that's what won it. And to me, that's exactly why starting pitching is so important. Why, if you had a Syndergaard and a DeGrom in a short series, and if you could get any of those other guys, if you get Harvey back to being anywhere near an above-league average pitcher, a guy that could compete and compete intelligently, you got yourself a tough Mets team in a short series especially because some of the back-end guys, like the, the Gazelman and the Lugo, could, could bleed into the bullpen and give you a deeper bullpen. Uh, so I, I don't think starting pitching is overrated. I don't think the Mets are saying they're not going to go after Logan Morrison. I think they're looking for the best value on the free agent market. I don't think they want to go out and give a, a six- or seven-year contract to an Eric Hosmer. 
I don't think they just want to get – and they have to – here's a key point. They also have to start to look at – and everybody loves Eduardo Nunez. I hear about Eduardo Nunez, but I never felt he was a good defensive player. I don't think he's any better of a hitter than Wilmer Flores. I don't think he's any better defensively than Wilmer Flores. If you have Wilmer Flores and you're not trading him, unless you're going to get something of value for Flores in a trade and bring Nunez in to spell him and his role – I don't see why you would you would go that route. It doesn't make any sense to me. So to answer your question, I don't think pitching's overrated. I think the Mets will try to get some, you know, Logan Morris and his one name I mentioned, uh, Adam Lind. I think they're going to get a guy like that with some pop. Maybe it's Lucas Duda. But I think they're going to bring a guy with 30 home run pop. Um, I don't think it precludes them from focusing on pitching, nor should they not focus on pitching. So thanks for the call, phone call. I uh, appreciate it. Let's go back to the phone lines. What would I do with $30 million in the offseason? Well, I would do it this way. First, get an outfielder, a strong bat for the outfield. Second would be bullpen help. Third would be first base. And lastly, a starting pitcher who can eat up innings. And as far as Keith Hernandez, I do believe that he does belong in the Hall of Fame as one of the greatest first basemen that we've seen in our time. He belongs with his two rings, 17 gold gloves, silver, silver slugger award. He is one of the greatest defensive first basemen. I believe that he does belong in the Hall of Fame before a lot of people who are already in there, and I believe he should go with a Met hat on. My name is Maria. Amorosa, and I am a Mets fan. Thank you. Well, thank you, Maria, for calling into the program. And uh, it sounds like you listen to the program because I think you're right. The Mets are going to probably go out and get an outfielder. They're going to get some bullpen help, um, a starting pitcher with some innings. Eaters. I mean, we've talked about this. I mean, it's just reiterating. But I think, I think you pretty much are validating the thought process that we've put here on this program. And I you listen, I'm not going to give away – my thoughts on Keith Hernandez, but uh, I don't think you're crazy. That's a little wink-wink and maybe what my thoughts are. We'll get to Keith Hernandez in the final segment, but uh, let's do one more phone call, one more phone call, and then I want to get to the Keith Hernandez stuff because um, I want to spend a little bit of time on that. So one more phone call. Let's go back to the phone lines. This is Lenny from Long Island, a Mets fan since 1962. In my opinion, Keith Hernandez belongs in the Hall of Fame. If Bill Mazeroski is there, Hernandez should definitely be there. I also feel the Mets should sign uh, Jose Reyes to a five-year contract at minimum amount. He said he doesn't need the money. He just wants security. Thank you. Bye. Well, Lenny, I, I agree with you on Keith Hernandez. Um, as far as Jose Reyes, I don't think the Mets are going to give out a five-year contract for a half million dollars a year or whatever the minimum is, $550,000. I think... Jose's a year-to-year guy. I think Jose could probably get an incentive-laden contract. And I know we always get that one caller. He didn't call in this week because, I mean, he's called in almost every show that thinks Reyes is the virus. I still think that Reyes is important because you need to have somebody that is an option if uh, Rosario doesn't pan out. I don't want a situation where the Mets are now trying to figure out who their shortstop is. Think about it in terms if you're a Knicks fan. The Knicks signed Jared Jack and Ramon Sessions as as point guards, as a, you know, for, to mentor. I know that's a mentoring situation. 
But uh, there, you know, Jared Jack has come in and played pretty well for the Knicks, and that's what the Mets need at shortstop if something happens with Rosario, or if Rosario can't hack it, needs a couple of days off. And it seems like Rosario also looks up to Reyes. Uh, I don't think I think if anybody had a negative impact in that clubhouse this year, it was Suspas. Not sure it's Reyes and Cabrera. I think to a certain degree, and I think if I'm Mickey Callaway, I take that whole crew and I get their heads wrapped on straight, screwed on straight pretty quickly because clearly Terry Collins had issues. And again, I keep saying this, I keep throwing it. I think Terry Collins had issues with Latin players on, on many notes throughout his tenure, not just Cespedes. I think he didn't know how to how to manage them properly, how to communicate with them properly, amongst other things. So, uh, interesting. I think Reyes is a guy that has a good chance of coming back. I don't know if they'll give him a five-year deal. Uh, maybe they give him a year with an option. I think they're going to want to play that year in, year in and year out. Remember, like I said with D. Gordon, when your legs go, and they will go, the value of those kind of players uh, almost becomes nil. So, anyway, let's take a quick break. Final segment coming up. Let's uh, talk modern era ballot. And why is Keith Hernandez not on the modern era ballot? And can this ballot, if there's a, the committee votes, uh, can it lead to possibly, possibly Keith Hernandez being a viable option at some point in the near future? Let's take a quick break and let's return with the final segment right after this. Well, all right. Well, there's a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, let's just go with the statistics first really briefly. Obviously, he doesn't hit for the power that, that a lot of uh, corner uh, position players have hit for who've made the Hall of Fame. He has a tremendous on-base percentage, though, basically the same as Tony Gwynn's, and he hit for better power than he did, uh, than, than Gwynn did. So, you know, he, he walked a lot, obviously. Uh, he was an MVP, co-MVP, um, and, you know, he hit hit over 300, so all those stats are there. He also, for what it's worth, he led the league in game-winning RBI when it was there. So he had some offensive statistics, five all-star teams that, that make a case. But the other larger case is, you know, the way he played defensively. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, first base. You know, I mean, if Jason Giambi can play first base, then how hard can it be? And that's true. But what Keith did, if anybody saw that, saw him play, it's completely transformed the position. I guess that's not even right to say. He played it the way nobody has played it before or since and had such a profound impact on the game. Um, he he threw guys out on the bases all the time. He had over 1,600 career assists, which is by far the most of anybody in the National League, and only Eddie Murray, who's played uh, about 400 more games, has had more. Um, and basically he would take the sacrifice bunt out of the – out of the hands of, of the opposition, in a lot of cases, he would come right down, stand in front of the, uh, stand in front of the batter, basically, so that he didn't have a chance to to bait, to to bunt. Opposing managers would say they they didn't want to do it because they'd get a force out of second, and they'd have their pitchers on on uh, on the bases. So his the way he he took over a game defensively, he also was, and anybody who saw the Mets in those years and saw how into the game he was in terms of you know, he would, he didn't officially have pitch calling responsibilities, but he's very involved in like, in calling pitches and what pitches, uh, should go in particular spots. Um, he, you know, sort of controlled, ran the, ran the game on the field. And that's even with Gary Carter there, who is obviously a Hall of Fame, fame catcher. That's, obviously Keith and Gary didn't play together the whole time, but even in their sort of prime years with the Mets then, um, you know, he, he was that leader on the field. Uh, you know, if you look at there, there were four guys who went on to wear Keith's 
uniform number 17 just as a tribute to him because they just completely admired his knowledge and savvy on the field. Uh, so, you know, however you look at it, this guy was, you know, he was the most interesting guy to watch. He was arguably the guy who was having the most impact on a particular game, excepting, of course, the, the pitcher. Uh, and though the, you know, that's not the whole case, but that's a good outline of the case why I think he, he deserves to be in. I'm going to say it, not just because I'm sitting here with you, but I, you know, when I work with you, I like to go back and look at some numbers. Okay. How you are not in the Hall of Fame is oh. beyond me. I won't even go too crazy on that. It's okay. You know, when it's all said and done and, and I turn to dust, it won't matter. When I turn to dust, it won't matter. Well, Keith, it matters here at the Talking Mets podcast. So you just heard from Kasha Kennedy. Kasha came on my show. I think that was from 2009. He had an SI article. And that was the old NYBD days when I had uh, a much more homebrewed, uh, rough podcast. I think I've learned quite a bit from those days and way before I had any time on ESPN radio out on Long Island. And uh, I think my thought process of baseball has evolved quite a bit from those days, but I, I pulled up that clip earlier today because, you know, that he summarized Keith pretty well, and I've done a lot of Hall of Fame stuff. Just to outline, so this is the modern era ballot. This is the ballot that the Veterans Committee is going to be voting on. So this has nothing to do with the, the BBWAA. So here's who is going to be up for election this year. And I don't know how many there are going to be elected, but the committee has to vote in uh, a certain percentage. I mean, n- nobody may get it, but this is the modern era. Steve Garvey's on the ballot, Jack Morris, Tommy John, Marvin Miller, uh, uh, also are down Don Mattingly, Dale Murphy, Dave Parker, Ted Simmons, Louis Tion, and Alan Trammell uh, make up the ballot. Now, out of those names, if you're going to tell me you can only pick one, I think everybody in this audience would agree. Whether in your lives you're a union person or a management person, Marvin Miller changed the game. I mean, the reason we have the hot stove and we were just talking about all these numbers and all this revenue and the players having all this freedom to basically make the living that they make is because of Marvin Miller. And it took a long time. It took a lot of painful years. It took collusion. It took defeating Bud Selig. It took the world changing. I think that baseball was sitting on an oil field for many years and never developed it. And then one day they, they found a way to make money, and all of a sudden Bud Selig was called a genius. But in reality, they just never really pumped the oil that they were sitting on for probably 50, 60, 70 years. I mean, that's how, how much the game could have offered. They could have done so, more, so much more with the game sooner, but they were more intent on beating the union, breaking the union, and keeping basically a reserve clause era of some sorts alive, and, and Marvin Miller was the, the first person to kind of break through that. So if he gets elected, we'll probably do something along those lines. I've done segments about Marvin Miller in the past and about he getting elected into the Hall of Fame, or he should be elected into the Hall of Fame. We'll see if that happens this year. So if there's one. Now, with that said, uh, out of the remaining names, I think Tommy John and Jack Morris are certainly pitchers that I know that the analytics community doesn't really like, but there is precedent with guys like Catfish Hunter in the Hall of Fame uh, for those guys. I think at this point, if you have 250-plus wins, you have to be taken seriously for the Hall of Fame, especially with the modern era of bullpens. If you have less and you have a, an outstanding 
next level career, an all time career like Pedro Martinez is a guy that 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 comes to mind who falls below that threshold, then that's that's a different story. That's why I think you know at the end of the day, CC Sabathia guys like Andy Pettit, I think they're going to be seriously considered, especially if you put in a Jack Morris uh, and guys like that. Uh, I'm still not a big Alan Trammell guy. Um, uh, you know, Dale Murphy to me, especially with the kind of bar that, that the outfielders have set, uh, you know, it's not there. Now, really, Ted Simmons, Louis Tion, I think they fall uh, below the threshold. Now, the point here is key. So I know you hear Yankee fans talk about Mattingly, but when you, you heard Kasha Kennedy talk about Keith's defense, and you, you can't really measure, and even me as a baseball fan, I didn't see Keith at a, an advanced enough age to appreciate what Keith brought. But he's a difference maker. He's athletic defensively. I'm not saying Mattingly wasn't, because Mattingly was a, a really good defensive first baseman. And maybe, you could argue, maybe better than Keith. I think Keith had more of a, an aggressive style of play. He talked about the bunts. Uh, he talked about how he was uh, a pitching coach on the field. Those are big deals. Big deals. And the Mets infield, when Keith was there, they weren't Gold Glover's around him. He had Howard Johnson and Ray Knight. Raphael Santana was steady, but he didn't have a great arm. Tuffle and Backman, I think, were okay. I think Backman was the better of the two, but they were certainly not, uh, you know, a Gardo Alfonso level. It's not the best infield ever. I think Keith helped with the positioning. I mean, this is long before you had uh, any kind of pitch track or any kind of computer programs that could actually go out there. And and help uh, position players uh, before the game. You just have different zones, and you're like, here, go here. Keith was using that from his mind. That's how smart of a baseball guy he is. And you could hear him talk, you know, and all that and all that on, during the broadcast. I think some of his ways of looking at the game may be antiquated, uh, but I think he still knows baseball. He understands how to field the position, especially that first base position. Uh, I also think when you factor in offensively, if you just want to use it, I'm using baseball reference. He's 10th all-time in wins above replacement uh, for first baseman. That's any first baseman, not just Hall of Fame, any first baseman. I mean, he's, um, he's, uh, he's certainly in that, you know, higher than Orlando Cepeda, you know, guys that are in the Hall of Fame, you know, way better uh, in terms of value than Steve Garvey. And I think if they had a better grasp of defensive metrics back in the day, he might even be more valuable with those wins above replacement. The on-base percentage, he's in the top 25 all-time for on-base percentage for first baseman. I think the thing that keeps Keith Hernandez out of the Hall of Fame is his power and also the cocaine trials. I think that that smears him a little bit. I wonder, as time goes on, as he has this Phil Rizzuto type of broadcasting career, now he just did some work on Fox. I know sometimes he gets himself in hot water because he is not politically correct, and I don't know how that's going to play with the Veterans Committee, I wonder if he'll get more consideration. Uh, and I'll certainly say this, if Mattingly ever gets in, and look, Mattingly at some point, if he continues to manage, who knows? Maybe Mattingly gets considered as a manager. Uh, you know, just like Joe Torre, you know, uh, you know, is now looked at differently because of his managerial career. It's a little too soon to say that about Mattingly. I think Keith Hernandez is somebody that certainly can be there's no shame in putting him in the Hall of Fame because of the precedent that's out there. Interesting that at MetsamorizedOnline.com, somebody mentioned, well, I'd rather put Olrud in the Hall of Fame than Hernandez. And that's not unfair because Olrud, when you look at wins above replacement, is number 11. Keith Hernandez is 10 as a first baseman. 
the thing about Olerud is Olerud had more power than Hernandez. Uh, you know, he his on base was slightly higher, but they were pretty much offensively the same type of, of hitters. Maybe Olerud with a little bit more power, a little bit more power. But though Olerud was a very steady first baseman, and the Mets probably haven't had a, a, a first baseman like that in quite some time. I mean, he was a gold glove first baseman. He didn't win a gold glove with the Mets, but he was a gold glove first baseman in Seattle. And maybe he was overlooked a little bit when he was with the Blue Jays. Uh, Olerud, to me, is a notch below Hernandez because of Hernandez's impact on the field as a leader. Hernandez, how he he just he, – when the first baseman stands out defensively like Keith Hernandez stood out, that tells you special. Because first baseman – usually don't stand out like that. They make the scoops. They make the plays. They're positioned well. They don't let anything go by them that shouldn't, and people appreciate that. When you stand out and you take it to that level, that's a difference maker. That's all time. That's historic. That's Hall of Fame. So I think Keith Hernandez belongs to the Hall of Fame. And the reason this came up was basically because of the modern era ballot, which Keith is not even on. I thought it was something that interesting to think about here on these. Now what's become pretty cold hot stove. The hot stove is now running. We had our first uh, freeze here in New York with sub-32 degrees, sub-30 degree temperatures. So the hot stove, the, the, the fire is officially on, the heat's pumping, and we're ready for some uh, hot stove baseball. And the winter, and the GM meetings are this week. The winter meetings are about a month away, maybe a little less than a month away. So we have a lot of news that will come up. I promise we'll get back to getting some good guests. I think it was important last, the last couple of weeks to do more of hearing from you and really setting up the offseason, and I think we've done a good job of that now. Let's see what this week brings with the GM meetings, and we'll try to get somebody on next weekend to recap that. And who knows? Maybe there'll be some moves to talk about, not speculation and hand-wringing about the payroll. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for joining me tonight. Always uh, appreciate you spending some time. It's always, uh, it's always cool to think that you guys spend an hour of your week uh, listening to some of the thoughts I have to say, some of the guests I have on. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsmerizeOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I am your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, see you next week. Take care.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.